Hey everyone! I hope you enjoy this conversation as much as I did. I just wanted to pop in here real quick to remind listeners that the show still needs support to keep going. There are thousands who listen, but only a handful of people actually support the show. And without listeners like you, it's a struggle to keep it going. So please, if you enjoy it, consider helping the show via Patreon, which I'll link in the show notes. Anywho, now here's the episode. Make sure that uh, that program doesn't contain controversial subjects. And uh, you're not impolite to people. No, definitely not, Dad. You know me. I'm never, <laughs> ever controversial or yeah, impolite. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Welcome to Conversations with your lovable, never pisses anyone off, ex-Muslim host, Ina. Keeping it non-controversial. Welcome to episode 49. I've got Michael Brooks joining me today. You'll probably know him as the host of The Michael Brooks Show and the co-host of Majority Report with Sam Cedar, where they do an excellent job of ridiculing the cringeworthy, self-congratulatory fools of the intellectual dark web, especially everyone's favorite classical liberal, Dave Rubin. So <laughs> <laughs> that's how I came across you, Michael. And uh, I've been enjoying what you do since then. Oh, I appreciate it. Uh, I, I, I enjoy what you do uh, as well. I've, I've been able to listen to uh, uh, some of your pods, and I, I really like the the perspective you bring. And uh, yes, and I and I would like to say, in fairness to Dave Rubin. Uh, <laughs> oh time, no! In yeah. fairness to Dave yeah. Rubin. Well, I thought that when he pointed out that uh, Jesus was nice to Muslims, <laughs> that was a very accurate representation of the kind of global love that Jesus was advocating and also showed his real sort of historical detail as well. Mm, yeah, that's our Dave Rubin. <laughs> always spot on, always smart, razor sharp guy. Razor sharp guy, yes. these are. I mean, I always say the thing about Dave Rubin, it's amazing, is I... It, he's a dumb guy, like an objectively <laughs> dumb guy, and he's also clearly like totally craven and career driven and cynical. And just and there's different people that fall along different sides of all of those. Like we can all be stupid sometimes. Everybody's career driven. There's some people who are pure cynics. There's some people who are pure idiots. There, you know. But the the distinguishing marker, I mean, he is really dumb. That is a distinguishing marker. But just that the synergy of both being like a stupid guy who's also a straight up operator is like, it's just amazing. Like, it, it, there's so many times where, like, well, he's dumb enough to actually say that, but he's also cynical enough to, like, kind of leave himself some wiggle room. It, it, it's it's very funny. It's watching it's a Dave, deadly combination. It's I mean, a deadly combination. But watching him on like Rogan, even like getting called out and watching like the terror in his eyes when he realizes he's fucking up, like dumb enough to rush headlong first and to like, yeah, like Amazon, just like get rid of the post office, <laughs> just being a fucking idiot. That's and not even also, the first time he said yeah. this stupid stuff. Like there was a time where he tweeted about how Snapchat means how Snapchat and Twitter mean like we don't need any environmental regulations because people will just like take a picture of factories polluting and just post it on social media and that will shame the companies into being better or something well what really was the reason the bhopal uh happened in india was because unfortunately at that time in india in the 1980s the people couldn't write a yelp review before a company uh, asked them to death. <laughs> so yeah totally <laughs> it makes makes total sense yeah <laughs> Dave Rubin. I mean, there's so much to talk about. I, I would say that as um, sort of like an ex-member of that uh, atheist scene, that Dave Rubin really helped to sort of lift the curtain to that whole stupidity for me. I mean, there is something to it. Like, I definitely am there and have time for criticism of religion. So I'm all about that. I'm not all about that. There's obviously more important things in the world. But, you know, as a woman who grew up in a theocracy like Saudi. Absolutely. Yep. 
I do enjoy fair and good faith, no pun intended, criticisms of religion that are not simply um, being used to bash and generalize Muslims. Like most of the people that I love most in the world are Muslim and they're wonderful people. So it doesn't really jive with me that, you know, you use criticism of Islamic scripture to say that, well, we shouldn't let any Muslim immigrants in. Yeah, I, I think, you know, when I first started talking about this stuff, I I had in this probably like 2013 when I started, uh, my role started becoming more on air um, majority report. And there was a couple of different reasons behind it. The and and part of it reflects my background. So I'll be you know transparent on my end. I did not grow up in anything remotely approaching a religious fundamentalist environment. Right. Mm-hmm. I was I was around. I would say my environment was either secular atheists or new age or um, very very you know. The type of liberal Christian, like liberal Christians, that you go to church to organize the anti-racism rally, mm-hmm. right? Like that, like that type of environment. And so I knew, I obviously I knew from following the world that, of course, religious fundamentalism and fanaticism of every sort was a major problem. But it just was always very easy for. It was like, well, if I know even in my own environment that okay, I'm not a Christian, but there's many different types of Christianity. This thing manifests in different ways, and so there's people who helped bring about civil rights in this country who mm-hmm. were a Christian and who ended apartheid in South Africa, and you know, and and there's also some uh, you, you know b- beautiful philosophical traditions from it. You know, it would it would naturally it would just translative property would be it's the same thing. Generally Generally, with Islam, it's not mm-hmm. to say that all religions are exactly the same. It's not to say that, like, I would actually. Ex- I mean, well, we can we can get into that more later. I'll table that. But the, the then the other two things were that I I wasn't I wasn't allergic to spirituality necessarily. So I also had a little bit more sympathy for uh, those sort of pursuits. And then first and foremost, from the perspective of my work, was you know I was particularly encountering Sam Harris, and I just was like, <laughs> I don't. I don't care. Like, I, you know, okay, great. Like, uh, congratulations. You don't believe in God, uh, which is maybe a little flippant of me, but I was reading the stuff that he was writing about foreign policy, about Islam, mm-hmm. was disastrous. And I honestly thought in my naive way when I first started doing these segments that there were going to be people who were going to be able to be like, well, I like that Sam is clear about, you know, science being taught in schools and people having a right to be free from their religion and having a secular, um, you know, public square. But I get that thought experiments about nuking the Middle East, that <laughs> sort of like speaking out of both sides of your mouth about policies like profiling, that defending, that reducing all of these really complex issues to this sort of silly conception of intentions um, is a ethical, political policy quagmire and that Sam, you know, runs the gamut from not knowing what he's talking about to really advocating for terrible things. And I could, you know, disaggregate that from the fact that I like that he, you know, writes about religion or whatever. Mm-hmm. And the fact that so many people couldn't do that mm-hmm. um, was my first inkling back then like you get these video. I mean, you know, you would do videos that were like, you know, I, I mean, it's not like I, I'm just saying this is just a data point. I don't really care. But say if like, you know, 99 percent of the videos you did or 98 percent of the videos had like a, I don't know, 300 people liked them, 20 people didn't like them. And then you do a video on Sam Harris's, you know, just some ridiculous piece of foreign policy writing it would be like you know 500 people like it and 5,000 people hate it (laughs) and that to me especially in light you know and some of the videos are better than others and hopefully I've improved you know significantly as a broadcaster and an analyst and everything else and grown in my craft but like these were not like this this was like common sense like you had taken like a basic intro to IR or history class Mm -hmm. stuff and the fact that people couldn't get it was really disturbing and annoying. 
Yeah, and uh, you know, I'm going to be transparent and say that I'm a former Sam Harris fan, though I was never one of those very dogmatic, tribal, you know, I could always see like some valid criticism of him that was never one of those, no, you can never criticize him kind of people, you know? I didn't get right. those people even at the height of my uh, Sam fandom. But, I mean, it just seems like... When I came into this scene new, you could decontextualize everything that people were criticizing Sam for and say, this one instance, isn't that bad? Come on, give him the benefit of the doubt here. But after years and years of following him and seeing this pattern of him repeatedly advocating for some very troubling things, sort of even getting worse and worse every year, mm -hmm. especially now in the Trump era where it's like, thought your priorities would change uh, instead of left bashing now when the right are in power and being really dangerous. Maybe you could shift focus a little bit, but no, that hasn't happened. I think that seems to expose people like that even more for the anti-leftists that they are, even though they insist that no, their biases lie with the left and it's just that they're forced to speak out these like unspeakable truths about how Me Too has gone too far and how it's the left that's really bad and alienating them. And so now after years and years, I feel like once you see those patterns, you cannot unsee them. You cannot stop noticing that, yes, this is something that Sam does. And he can't always be making those same mistakes that you give him the benefit of doubt for. At some point, you got to be like, OK, this is where this is where he's at. This is his politics, you know? Um, right. No, I, I mean, I think that that's, I saw that and to me it was like, I don't see how this doesn't end in racism. I don't see how this doesn't end in just reactionary nonsense. Because even as an example with, you know, me too, there is a, a left, you know, there's a debate to be had with inside the left on all sorts of questions of like, of what are the legal prescriptions to this? What are the, what are, what are, what is the concept of sure. rehabilitation? Right. There's all these questions, but even the way you framed it, that sort of like concern troll position, mm -hmm. which sort of immediately narrows the issue in such a way that it doesn't get to all of the big questions on the playing field, including ones that might be unsettling and difficult and there's legitimate debate about, but it just shrinks it down to, well, you know, I mean, what's happening is just like, yeah, I mean, you know, forget obviously the rape. There's people who are being really, you know, they're, they're out of control. And just that constant pivot is an act of disingenuous concern trolling that they do across the board. But I... What I think what I was perceiving early on with Sam Harris and has been very has been vindicated, unfortunately, is that it wasn't it was that he was he was first of all, he's ironically for a guy who's supposedly a materialist. He's actually saying that abstractions and ideas are more important than material realities, uh, which is actually a trait that all of these guys share. It's sort of like it, it, there there's sort of basic biological facts which they interpret mm, in specific mm -hmm, way mm -hmm. and then there's like my thought experiments mm -hmm. and in the middle of that is everything like literally where all of the action is so if you want to understand what's happening in the middle east like you know even really prosaic stuff like this theory of like the quran and intentions and all this nonsense does not account for some like group on the afghan pakistan border like flipping sides in you know which side they're fighting on because like they got like a fleet of like toyota trucks given to them by a member of like the intelligence services of pakistan say right mm -hmm. like that's why they flipped it has nothing to do with like they read the quran and they blah 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 blah. that's my harris impression <laughs> and so i was like so what i was seeing to me was that it's Yes, this guy is advocating an objectively bigoted position on Islam, no matter how much prevaricating and word games there are. He absolutely is. Mm -hmm. And he's flirting with and forwarding, again, in a convoluted and way where he's giving himself outs. But in terms of reality, any type of person who can actually read and think, of course, he's at the very least creating daylight and space for incredibly dangerous and destructive policies. Well, and then he champions people not just like Charles Murray, but 
British Douglas Murray, who's completely right. anti-Muslim and anti-immigrant and says all sorts of dangerous garbage, worries about the whiteness levels of London and, um, you know, says that we don't need any more Islam in Europe. We don't need any more Muslims in Europe. Like really, really awful things to say. Says things like we don't need even the nicest, most integrated immigrants that are Muslim because their kids, future kids, could potentially turn out to be jihadists. Well, I mean, imagine if uh, I said, well, you know, I don't know if I want to be friends with any white people because, well, their future kids and grandkids could turn out to be white supremacists. I mean, you don't know. Well, that's true. You don't. It's ridiculous. Well, but I guess what I'm saying is, and right, and what I never understood, though, and I'm not, and I'm just speaking, you know, it's like, how people could not see that that was obviously the end point of what he was talking about. Right. Like even people in some ways it's like, I actually am, I'm, I'm in some ways I have more <laughs> sympathy for people who are just like, you know, yeah, Sam Harris, of course I'm, you know, of course we should support scientific racism, be anti-immigration because it's like, right, you've been reading him. That is what he's been saying. But, but the third thing that was so important that has only been accentuated was that in the process of not only advocating for these destructive policies, but also that pretty much saying that history and policy and all of this stuff is is secondary to these abstractions and this this like kind of a Hegelian idealism. It's very much a reaction to the people who deny that, you know, scripture has any link to religion, you know, like sort of the Reza Aslan-esque position, which also pisses me off. I don't know what you feel about that, but Reza's always like, you know, don't put any blame on scripture and homophobic passages aren't really homophobic. It's just people that bring that meaning to it. So I feel like those are two opposite, completely... Uh, decontextualized sort of bullshit responses. I feel like it's a combination of things, you know, environmental factors, socio-political factors, plus however they're interpreting scripture. I think that there's three different things going on. And I think that the, I think though that the, that the thing that I'm most concerned about is, is, is connected to that, but it stands apart from that because I think that, when you're basically making a major public argument that the main things, and this is where I'm not discounting the importance of things like religious scripture, but the real, as far as I'm concerned, we're trying to figure out things that are political. The main action is, are things like economics and politics. And I don't just mean that in the sense of, well, all things that happen in the Middle East are just a reaction to U.S. imperialism. I don't think that. I think it's a significant factor. But I'm talking mm-hmm. literally like if you want to understand how you know, the Saudi monarchy works, as an example, mm-hmm. you're not going to get it by reading the Quran. You're going to get it by understanding the politics of that family. And I, oh, I yeah. Believe, I mean, there's so right? many so, double-layered so things going on there that are even supposedly anti-Islamic, but they do them. You know what I mean? So I think a total, well, of course, and that doesn't surprise me at all. And I just think that like what's, what he is doing by actively saying that this stuff doesn't, he's actually negating the most important metrics and skills we have for understanding how things actually work. And then of course that's, that's really vividly demonstrated by this just utterly in fact, racist, dogmatic approach to something like the bell curve. Now, Reza Aslan, in full disclosure, I worked for Reza Aslan. No, did you? No. Yeah, I worked with him. I've collaborated with him. And I will say that I don't, I think if you talk to him, he has a more, you know, he does have a more nuanced position than maybe a soundbite on TV. But I do, no, I, I, I think I'm, I don't agree with him necessarily on the sort of sweep of claim he'd make about scripture. Mm -hmm. But that being said, I'm also generally, but I think that there's a more sophisticated, like, I don't know if you read Robert Wright's evolution of God, which is a Mm -hmm. really, is a, it's funny. I mean, it's a, it's actually a totally materialistic view of religion. And it's basically like, when you look at the Quran, it's like, 
when Muhammad is striking alliances with other tribes and having diplomatic breakthroughs, that's when the passages are cosmopolitan and humane and bridge building. When he has to organize to fight to conquer a city, that's when the shit is a lot more, uh, you know, bloodthirsty. And sure, sure. I mean, there are different. It's the same thing in Christianity. And even, my God, like, I think if we could say objectively, the last thing I'll say, I think objectively it would be foolish to argue. Like, I think uh, it's a point Sam Harris does make. I mean, yes, Buddhism scripturally is definitely far less uh, problematic mm-hmm. than anything that comes out of Christianity, Judaism, or Islam. Mm-hmm. That being said, I mean, we there's a, a you know, ascendant ethnic cleansing Buddhist fascism in Burma. Mm-hmm. So I just think, again, and the, and the conclusion is not to do a PC, see everybody does it. The conclusion is clearly the scriptures, even ones that are yeah. far less innately problematic are secondary, so we got to look at the real conditions. Well, there's, you know, Jane, Jane people that send rape threats to people precise. who eat meat, you know what I mean? Out precise. of their belief of nonviolence. That, oh, people shouldn't eat meat because of nonviolence, so let me threaten to rape and murder this person. Of course, it's not like a major, major issue like Islamic terrorism is, but it does exist. So, yeah, so that's my there's only... Also, but there's also people like these Buddhist monks who are, you know, again, if I wanted to understand what's happening in Burma, I would not look at Buddhist scripture. I would look at the mm-hmm. economic conditions and I would look at how is it that you're transitioning out of a really brutal military dictatorship mm-hmm. and you're partially opening the country up, but you also still want to solidify a certain power base so you're ethnically scapegoating, in this case, Muslim communities. Mm-hmm. So to me, it's like... I cannot, I think this is the other problem that actually happens in the dark web scene (laughs) is there's a, no, is that there, there was this real conflation. Like we were just talking about this in the office. I want to run this by you. Ayn Hirsi Ali's personal story and experience is one that like is horrifying, Mm -hmm. reveals misogyny, Mm -hmm. dangers of just fanaticism, and also uh, some very real, just literal physical courage on her part. Mm -hmm. Right. Now, her politics are fucking stupid. Yes. And and the way, though, that that scene conflated personal trauma narratives, which are actually really important. I'm not down. It's ironically, I, I have more space for them because I'm a. As we, uh, uh, my my colleague Matt was was joking. He's like, "Well, I don't object to identity politics in the way you people do." So I think, like, actually, an identity lived experience narrative is a legitimate thing to hear. So that's a legitimate thing to hear from somebody like Ayn Hirsi Ali. But what happened in two is that. So I think what I'm saying is, if you want to talk about uh, family upbringings or specific questions of religious community, maybe that's where the scripture and those debates are. First of all, they're still not monolithic, but they're more relevant. Yeah. But, but even the, in Sharia though, you can't separate scripture from Sharia entirely. Mm-hmm. Of course there's politics and monarchy bullshit. And, but to say like, to take the, I don't know if this is Reza Aslan's position, but to take the opposite view would be someone like, Oh no, 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 no. You know, Saudi Arabia has nothing to do with Islam. Saudi Arabia is just distorting everything. Oh no, 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 no. Pakistan has nothing to do. They're just distorting it. That also gets very frustrating for people who have seen or, or been the victim of, uh, you know, literalist interpretations of these scriptures. So all I say is that have a nuanced perspective. It's not, all or nothing and Sam Harris goes reactionary in the other way I think even though he may occasionally acknowledge other factors but the there, there's a, a literal a historical thing to it like when he had Fareed Zakaria on his show even Fareed told him that you know your interpretation and your uh, views on this stuff isn't helping anyone on the ground in fact it's gonna make them dig their heels in further well, that's that's the other. It's it's ironic too because you know Harris has this sort of Buddhist uh, frame that he throws on things sometimes, and he has no sense of right speech. So I mean, you could even just you could literally strip all these arguments down to does somebody being you know some rich person in L.A. being an asshole on a podcast help <laughs> solve any of the problems that we're actually concerned about, like misogyny, homophobia, and so on? But that being said, I st- here's the difference. Well, first, something Reza has said, which I agree with, is I'm not like... That Trump is stupid. 
Trump is stupid. And also, if you consider yourself a Muslim, then I believe you. So sure, I don't, absolutely. I, like, I, I do too. I, I've never bought the like, it isn't true Islam because yes. I don't think there's a true Islam. Frankly. No, it's, and it's I not think interpret things. I think that Islam is a multi now and to build on that. And to go to my more political, materialized position, I'm going to really go into the Sam Harris zone, and I normally would never do this, but let me give you a thought experiment. <laughs> Ready for this shit? Okay. A fucking thought experiment. I'm disgusted with myself, but here it is. <laughs> Say in Saudi Arabia, there was a, um, a Sufi uh, tribe that aligned with a Sufi revivalist teacher and they had the military sophistication and guerrilla tactics and they took over Saudi Arabia and they ran all of Islam's major holy sites and had this massive amount of money from oil reserves. Now I'm not trying to paint like a utopia, like there still would be like any monarchy is a problem, but let me, I'm just trying to make the thought experiment super narrow, but they're still Sufis. And so they're still going to have a much more liberal interpretation and a much more cosmopolitan mm -hmm. way of about being Muslim. And they had all of this money and all of this ge geopolitical importance and say they basically followed a roughly similar policy to what the Saudis have. However, with Sufism as a certain type of moderate Sunni Sufism as the instrument. That would mean that over the last couple of decades, the global perception of what Islam is, the type of mosques that were funded by the Saudis, the popular perceptions of what Muslims believe and how they conduct themselves would be radically different. And that's not because that's quote unquote true Islam. Mm -hmm. That's because our perceptions and even the way people, and this is what you're concerned about and Sam is singularly concerned about, the way people are trained and indoctrinated in Islam is a political choice that is created by political and material conditions. So if there was a Sufi government funding madrasas for poor people in Pakistan, you would have a different ideological training. Yes, so, but look, I've so, seen Pakistan change. You've seen Pakistan change precisely because of those influences, Precisely right? because of Wahhabism funding, you know, literature and madrasas, right? So my background is Pakistani, but I grew up in Saudi Arabia, so I kind right. of am familiar with both worlds. And to see that my culture be literally erased, like I see pictures of my grandma um, in public parks wearing strapless dresses, and that is unthinkable now Yep. in Pakistan. Now there's like niqabs and burqas, things like that are so much more visible. Well, it's internal Islamic colonialism. Yes, my absolutely. Point, absolutely. My point is not to, you know, any scenario where one country is projecting like that is not ideal. But I'm just saying if if the Saudi, if this all the same geopolitics were the same, but there was a different ideology from Saudi and they were in, you know, it, then you would go to Pakistan. You might still be like, well, the Pakistan, the Saudis have a really pernicious influence here in terms of the money and so on and so forth. But women are still wearing strapless dresses in the park because that's not the brand of Islam they're exporting. Right, and right. that's my point. Yes, I agree with that totally. But that's not to say that Sufis cannot be extremists. You know what I'm saying? Like in Pakistan, there are Sufis that are also extremists. Sure. And they do have the same misogynistic beliefs that come from scripture, even though they may, you know, like, I don't know, be more tolerant about music and things like that. They still hold some of the some similar beliefs. So that's all I'm saying. Of course, you can interpret it. I mean, like my parents are Muslims. They host like, you know, dinner parties with, with their gay friends and stuff. It's not that they're non-believers all of a sudden. It's that they're choosing to interpret it differently. So you can have evolution even in the way that people practice. And that's what we're going, you know, how they talk about reform in Islam. I feel like that reform is happening as we have right. like women led mosques and LGBT mosques. And right. you don't need to like eradicate Islam, which a lot of ex-Muslims argue for, which I think is a, a very dangerous position again. Well, so. It's not even, I mean, you don't, I'm, I'm sorry. I mean, not, I'm not going to put words in your mouth, but let me just be, uh, I'm just going to phrase it this way. You don't think that it is that, I mean, the notion that you're still, that people could still come out and spout that kind of 
repressive nonsense at a time when, you know, and this is the other distinction I've always tried to draw is that the positionality does matter and not in some like politically correct sense that, oh, I can't condemn genital mutilation because I'm not from there. I don't buy that position at all. Yeah. But I will say this. My primary concern is, is, is look, inside the United States, Muslims are a minority group that are subject to a lot of political, legal, and cultural dangers. In Saudi, they're the dominant group. It's a different situation. Yeah. When you're running your mouth about, I'm not talking about you, I'm talking in general, about yeah. all this stuff in a context of Europe or the United States with insurgent far-right exactly. parties. Exactly. Broad bigotry. You're part of that. And then I the last thing more. I it's also just capping. I mean, I've never seen in, in these people's work, I don't hear anything about Asma Jahangir, who died recently, yeah. who was tirelessly working to all of these issues inside Pakistan as a Muslim lawyer. Like, I don't hear this stuff. Yeah. I don't hear anything. I see people in the UK, in the United States, Talking and and again, I'm, I'm I'm you know my position is not that you can't criticize or talk about or put scripture into play, but you should know what the fuck you're talking about. And I don't hear it. I hear yeah. a bunch of fearing right wing politics and also an essentialist view of Islam that really is shared only by the far right yeah. on Islam. And I just don't have essentialist views of anything. Like I, I'm. I'm a Marxist, right? I, mm -hmm. I'm generally, in many ways, in that intellectual tradition. Anytime somebody says, this is it, and it's not yeah. that, it's just like, it's not true. Yeah. It's like literally not true. Yeah. And it's the same of, of any cultural phenomenon. I mean, there's, you know, Pat Robertson's a Christian, Desmond Tutu's a Christian. These two things are not alike. And yeah. it seems to me that people, I mean, that's a pretty basic concept that people like Sam Harris have interfered with a lot of people grasping. Well, and also to go back to the thing you were saying about Ayan and her story being, you know, very worth listening to, but her politics being terrible and that conflation, there's also like the idea that the worse someone's story is, the more authority they have on a subject. And that's just not true. You know, like I know of horrendous ex-Muslims with dangerous, dangerous politics right. um, who have left extremism behind but are viewing everything through that lens still. And they seem to be authorities in the atheist scene. They get invited to Harvard when they can say shit like Judaism is worse than Nazism. Islam is worse than Nazism. Justify hate crimes against Muslims just because, yep. oh, so-and-so was married to an Al-Qaeda person and was mistreated. I'm so sorry for that, and I have a lot of time for that. But if you're going to leave that abusive situation and then perpetuate hate, that doesn't mean that you have some sort of intellectual authority or you're worth listening to in your politics like your personal story sucks and i'm very sympathetic to that but your politics is garbage so at, like even with ayan who's probably a lesser version of the people that i'm thinking of i don't think you're familiar although with. i think her ayn's bravik comment is up there <laughs> um, andrew's bravik rather andrew's bravik i mean i think that's that's that was that know, we must a, uh, smash islam or what was it oh, she said no she said in the context of a mass murderer in norway and i'm going to paraphrase but he had a white supremacist anti-immigrant yeah yeah manifest, i know exactly who he is right but. and uh, and and she i mean I, yeah i'm just and 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 uh, she basically said you know he had no other choice um, because he couldn't speak out because of political correctness. So, I mean, Ayn Hershey has gone very far. And I guess, I mean, the the two, I, I mean, one thought I have is it makes total sense why these people would be given, or two quick thoughts. One, it makes total sense why they'd be given platforms because, in fact, the political aspect of this stuff is very far right, very reactionary, and they validate it. And then number, the second part is the incredible irony that, you know, I'm not somebody who in any way has any time for or agrees with the version of identity politics, which is actually pretty small in my experience, that actually literally says like, well, you can't make an object objective analysis of something because you're, you know, white man or whatever, yeah. or you can't debate with that person because you don't have the same identity. 
they practice that to such a profound and embarrassing and essentialist degree, almost more than anybody else I've seen in modern politics. The right? same people like Dave Rubin. Oh, oh my God. This, Dave Rubin's the, I mean, he's a hysterical example of it, but the pe- the same people who will like, Oh, you're distorting Sam. Like he's not racist. He's just promoting, you know, scientifically and culturally undermined discredited concepts of race disparity based in biology, but he's just trying to have an open exchange. You're in very dangerous him. times, very dangerous times. And then the next, and then the next sentence, you know, I'm a uh, racist because I, I don't know. I mispronounced Majid Nawaz's name and said he's an <laughs> idiot. Have you noticed how Majid Nawaz drops that he's a person of color in like every random tweet to every yes. random critic? Like signed, yes. a person of color signed, yes. a Muslim. Just it's like, like, dude, says he's gay. This, this is actually yeah. this. Like, this is the dumbed down essentialist <laughs> identity politics that actually I disagree with. They make so much hay over, and they practice more than anybody else on the scene. Yes, like Paul Joseph Watson saying, "Oh, the people who didn't." support you know marine le pen or no feminists because she's a woman <laughs> like what the fuck right. exactly i mean my question for you is i mean how is it how did you manage to if it's okay i ask you a question please yeah what did you manage to because i because i get now more i when i first looked at this stuff i just was like who the fuck wants to like you know, it's boring. Like, what? Like, why? Why would anybody read this shit? I really didn't get it. And then I started to realize, you know, and then I had a, not, a lot of negative conclusions as to why. But then I did start to have a little bit more understanding when some people, actually, people who sort of graduated, they said, like, hey, you know, I read Sam Harris when I was eighteen or something, and it helped me become realize I didn't have to be a Mormon or something. And now, and now I realize like the guy's kind of a schmuck, but it helped me at the time, yeah. and I started to. Have an understanding of that but how did you get that liberation but not because i mean honestly i mean even just from a career perspective i mean my god you i mean you're doing great work and you're in the mix but you could be on those platforms yeah that was a very easy career lane <laughs> what so what held you back i that? was invited on bill maher show and you know i didn't go uh I wanted to remain anonymous. I mean, I prefer not to have my personal life interrupted. The amount of hate I get on the internet from Islamist trolls, from alt-right people saying they want to sterilize me, bomb my family. And, uh, you know, I'm like, I have piercings and colored hair and tattoos and I'm a brown woman. I'm like, I don't want to be recognized on the streets, you know? Right, right, Unlike right. Gad Sad, who makes a 10-tweet thread every time he's recognized by a cashier or something like, you know. <laughs> <laughs> you know, watching that sad old prick, you know, he, he's not really on the radar, but it's no. so amazing. I love that every time this silly thing pot like just the seething resentment that he has for not being considered. Like I, I had, I had, and it was funny. I had this, some, so I actually eventually had to block him cause he just, he really was like obsessed with me, but there was really? some, some like I W troll who would always, you know, he was and always like with the, like, how you expect to be credible if you say blah 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 is white supremacist dude i i don't have life for this like you go fuck yourself but one time i remember i made some joke about gad sad and he was and it was funny because he also clearly wanted my approval and he was just like well we don't like him either he's 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 a loser (laughs) i just was like oh my god if gad sad lost this like weird obsessive guy on twitter like oh man sad sad he's he's really something have you seen his like clips about how the the uh, the sad time that he had to like move his coat in a movie theater because people wanted to sit next to him but he was so upset he did a whole video about it it sounds like a joke but it's real like he was whining about moving his coat <laughs> i saw him i mean i rem- i've seen some clinic and it was in the first minute you kind of got like oh he's like the avuncular professor guy but i remember it was just like just my conclusion when i watched him was more along the lines of like wow like this motherfucker has tenure <laughs> i know right <laughs> oh like, 
He's such like, a joke. This is just this like doofus who is like clearly going to remember he'd be on Rogan. He obviously had like been scouring like uh, academia for like, like there was another study on how when you watch a porn, a uh, man actually like the two men and one woman more, even if they're not gay. And Rogan would be like, fuck, whoa. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> Gad also posted about how he was in a hotel room one time and there was a woman like having really loud orgasms in the next room and how Gad just didn't believe it was real and people made so much fun of him because like, oh, Gad, you never heard a woman orgasm loudly? Like, <laughs> I believe that Gad believes that it wasn't real. Sure, yeah. <laughs> That's, I, I definitely believe that. <laughs> <laughs> so um, your question was, how did I get out of this uh, yeah, rational it's skeptic amazing. You're still in the, Well, because what's so funny to me is that the people that didn't get into this cult actually exemplify the values that they are constantly talking about but don't actually possess. So like you actually do. Mm-hmm. So how did you not go down that field? Well, I, I like I said right in the beginning, I have Ruben to thank for a lot of it because he made it so blatantly obvious. Like I was questioning things for a while, right? But right. when I saw people that I respected intellectually just follow Ruben blindly for the uh, fame and opportunities and platform and I would talk to other ex-Muslims behind the scenes like in direct messages and I'd be like what the fuck are you guys doing like do you know what an idiot he is he's promoting you know Cernovich who's a rape apologist and this and they're like you know they would just have no answer or they would be total apologists I'm like you know I started noticing that they don't have the principles of humanism and intellectual honesty that they have built their careers on, calling other people regressive. Meanwhile, they support literal regressives. Literal, right. Literal. Lit- people literal who regressives. want exactly. to go back in time, you know? Right. I mean, just like there's this in- intellectual dark webbish article that came out in Quillette the other day co- about so-called toxic femininity, clearly written by someone who has no idea what the concept of toxic masculinity refers to even just seems like a oh well if they're going to call men that then i'm going to write something about women being right toxic and i don't know if you've read it but let me just read you a couple of short quotes from it yeah when women doll themselves up in clothes that highlight sexually selected anatomy and put on makeup that hints at impending orgasm, <laughs> it is toxic, yes, toxic, to demand that men do not look, do not approach, do not query. And mm. another one, creating mm. hunger in men by actively inviting the male gaze, then demanding that men have no such hunger, that is toxic femininity subjugating men, emasculating them when they display strength, physical, intellectual, or other. That is toxic. And I believe it's written by, I think, Brett Weinstein's wife. So So why would Brett Weinstein's wife be worried about this? He doesn't display any of those things. (laughs) (laughs) I'm such a a bastard. But you know what, what, what is funny to me is that I mean, it's also the Peterson thing. But, it's exactly the Peterson but, thing turned up a few notches, though. This is literal right. Salafist bullshit that I would hear from Mutawas in Saudi who were carrying a cane, like, oh, don't doll yourself up, highlighting your sexual features, you know, don't put on makeup that hints at, I don't know, they never said orgasm, but, you know, they're always wor- so afraid of female sexuality and blaming women for what men might do. Or how men might react. This right. is the most regressive shit I've ever heard. And I'm seeing all these so-called centrist, rational ex-Muslims who have grown up with this kind of regressive misogyny. And that is why they left Islam. Now say, hey, you know, you're such a class act to the person who's like writing this article. Or like praise them by saying, oh, you know, I might slightly disagree, but at least we can have this conversation civilly. (laughs) And it's like if an Islamist had written the same goddamn words, you would not be wanting people to be civil. Yeah, and I, I, I also, I mean, it's kind of a sidetrack, but it's funny to me because every time I read those things, too, it's also such a, like... 
I don't know. I don't know. Maybe there are like a handful of, uh, again, I, I do think of obscure campus examples of like, you know, people saying like, yes, anytime a man has ever asked a woman for her number, that is innate, you know, whatever. But in terms of like the real world, the objection is never actually to any of the things that she outlined in actuality. The objection is to harassment. The objection yeah. is to objectification. It's not to like people flirting. Like I, I think it's actually important to push back on part of that narrative too, because it's like, oh, wait a second. Like nobody's actually talking about like criminalizing flirting. Right. Like that's not in, and that's just not in the realm. They get so much mileage. And that is where, you know, Angela Nagel kind of identified that dynamic of like, you know, you find these like obscure, silly examples and then Mm -hmm. they, and then they just run with it. Right. And it's like, all of a sudden it's like, yeah, and that's, and that's the left. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. That was like, that was exactly. And I, and so, you're always doing this dual game with them where on one hand you're like, you have to find something that they would say, like maybe even if we went back earlier, like, no, I'm not saying that Islamic terrorism or, or terrorism isn't, or, you know, or, okay, let's actually, I like to be precise as Jordan Peterson would say, I'm not saying that ISIS is a misdirected anti-colonial group. I'm saying that they're a horrific band of mass murderers and Ba'athists and Salafists, and they're really dangerous and they're a serious problem. I'm not sure the right policy mechanism, but that's a real thing. And they call themselves Islamic. So they're Islamic, right? Mm -hmm. So let's table that dumb objection. And then I have to to deal with like the bigger arguments that you're making about Islam in the region that are factually flawed, historically ungrounded, um, dumb and bigoted. And it just keeps going with all of these waves. Like even in that example, it's like, okay, what are the Tumblr posts that you're referring to that say that all flirting is bad and don't want men to like be fit? <laughs> and I will debunk them. And then I have to go and deal with, okay, but what you're really doing is you're actually undermining the quest to a fully emancipate society, mm-hmm. which is not about, you know, making everybody the same and stopping people from having sex and stuff. Well, it's like, it's, you're, you're, you're just in this fucking disingenuous nonsense. And we've always got to pivot between those two positions. It's like, yeah. neutralize the position that they're trying to say everybody on our sites holds, which we do not. Mm-hmm. And then get to what they're really doing, which is undermining progress. Yeah regressive right uh people like majid you know ones who used to talk about regressiveness have just joined you know like i just i'm impelled that he defends peterson and like i don't know what happened to him i feel like i always thought that guy was a shitbird see that this is the thing that i wonder about with me it's like i on one hand i'm like god i was so presumptuous to always be so cynical about you were right though yeah but i was totally right (laughs) (laughs) That's the paradox. I'm like, maybe, maybe I, I do. At some ways, I'm like, man, I was just starting. I was coming out. I was in my like late twenties. You know, I yes, I was in. I studied in Turkey. I studied international relations. I did have background and experience in some things, and I knew what I was talking about. But like, wow, I was just out guns blazing. Maybe I should have been a little bit more humble. But then it's like, yeah, but I was also totally correct. <laughs> Unfortunately, you <laughs> totally were. So, tell me about the uh, you know about your thoughts on this new intellectual dark web movement generally you know i i just think it's it's so i mean besides the obvious silliness of it um the silliness of people constantly bitching about not being given a platform, even though they get platforms endlessly. They you know, have the all, largest platforms, yeah. Right, it's the largest. Like, yeah, let me. I I would love to phone up the New York Times, get a profile of me written every time. I think not enough attention. Are is you going to be me. jerking off a tree though, like in the dark? Did you see uh, that photo? I did, and I think that we can all give me a little bit more credit than that. Thank you, Ina. <laughs> <laughs> I will not be doing that. But that being said, I think that there are actually some really deeper problems that this um, that need to be dealt with coming out of this. And I'll just sort of and and I am, you know, working on a larger project around this. I think in the Harris case, I think aggressive ahistorical arguments are 
you know, it's not just that they're analytically wrong. That actually is, and, and it may not be his intention, but unlike him, I don't care. I don't care. <laughs> but it, that is the groundwork of right-wing reactionary politics is not understanding context and history. In fact, I'm increasingly convinced of that because you can't have a conversation that gets us anywhere on any of the issues you're talking about if we don't have a ground from which to understand where these things come from and how they play out. I also think there's a lot of really interesting misdiagnosing of problems that go on. So they, you know, Brett Weinstein, I mean, first of all, let's take the bigger thing. He's leveraged a whole career out of a relatively trivial incident Mm -hmm. at a small cop. That's just objective reality. Now, I have some sympathy for some of the things he had to deal with. I think he shouldn't have had to deal with them. But he is a unbelievable hypocrite and dangerous by going to Republican Congress that is literally looking at, you know, there's legislation in the pipeline right now to criminalize protesting. And you're going and talking about campuses suppressing free speech, which is actually not legally correct. Nobody's First mm-hmm. Amendment's been infringed upon. You had an unpleasant time with some annoying students. That's not a legal or policy problem. And you're actually running interference for stuff that could literally turn into laws to legislate against free speech on campuses. Mm-hmm. So that's disgusting. But more broadly than that, some of the other problems that he objects to are like curriculum changes at his college, less opportunity to spend time with students and, and teach. Yeah, that, that's because of austerity, buddy. That's not because of identity politics. Mm-hmm. So you're misdiagnosing really important things. And, and this is where they're dangerous because they, they, lay, they lay a finger on an aspect of truth and then they completely misdiagnose it and blame the wrong forces. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and then, um, you know, number, number three, there's also a kind of like, what is an actual intellectual dark web? And, uh, you know, not to be self-promoting here, but let's like, let's be real in an American context, confronting and dealing with Marxist thought is probably the most relevant thing in terms of getting us back to the actual material asymmetries that actually run these things mostly. And also imagine calling yourself and your group intellectual and then naming it after the place where criminality and drug right. deals and shit happen on the internet. We're the intellectuals, and we'd like to take our moniker from the uh, child uh, uh, predator service online. <laughs> yes, it's embarrassing. I mean, I, I don't know. I, it's somebody. Somebody posted that picture of. Um, you know those guys like the Shapiro and all of them out at dinner. Peterson, Shapiro, mm-hmm. Harris. And first of all, you're there and you're like, and I mean, maybe this is my own flaw, but I have a certain soft spot for Rogan. And you're just like, Rogan, like, dude, what are you doing? Like, you're the only one there that like, isn't a virgin. Like, why? But he and, actually loves all these people and promotes them repeatedly. You know, it's, a real, it's a, it's a total problem and a real shame. And the other, and, but somebody uh, tweeted out uh, the picture and it had, and it like, and it's so funny, like with the, with all of them, like staring at you with geez, just, just fucking and particularly Harris with just this just obnoxious, you know, kind of like put on seriousness. And the caption is like, I think it's like mom said we can watch Rick and Morty and don't have to turn the channel or something. <laughs> it was just like, just, just, you know, but Shapiro what, tweeted, no, that's a party or something. Right. Like, which was oh, hilarious my, because a lot of them look very, uh, Depressed. Very depressed. Like Peterson does not look happy in that picture. What a party that is. A one gender party. Like parties. <laughs> <laughs> so what's this project you're doing about the... So I'm working on a book for Zero Books uh, about the dark web. And, um, you know, it's going to get into... I mean, it's obviously it's going to be polemical. It's going to have... Um, you know, it, it'll be a fun book, but there's also going to be an attempt to both somewhat, you know, take their arguments and dissect them on their own terms. Like even the Peterson chapter, I'm actually Are referring you doing a lot. Forced monogamy. Uh, yeah, I support enforced monogamy. <laughs> nice. You're real yeah, intellectual. Yeah, totally. totally. Yeah, no, I mean, I am an intellectual, so yep. <laughs> obviously. Yes. That. Well, I mean, there, there's going to be dealing – I mean, part of it actually honestly is balancing out dealing with like 
it's important, like the low hanging fruit, the important low hanging fruit, like enforced monogamy and the bell curve Mm -hmm. and dealing with that. But it's also an attempt to get to, you know, the deeper foundations of why, frankly, so that we can really kind of like crack the ribs of these thoughts and this quote unquote movement at their roots. And then also to get into, you know, the deeper things that they're pointing to in an incredibly distorted and ridiculous way. Right. So like that actually in some ways is a good, like that is a like, okay, yeah. Gender norms and relationship dynamics are radically shifting. That's a positive thing in a context where people have way more material and uh, insecurity and deprivation, which is a really negative thing. And those two things have actually been conflated in the public mind and they're exploiting some of those contradictions, particularly someone like, uh, Peterson, there's two different threads of the of this intellectual dark web. It does sound funny every time you say it. But there's uh, Bashkar Sunkara, who I work with, had this great thing where he talked about the Finland station, which refers back to Lenin going into Russia and the Bolsheviks. And the, setting everything aside, the spirit of Finland station is real broad democracy and emancipation of all. Then there's the Singapore station, which is the kind of like the technocracy of neoliberalism and it in it too, in its defense, there's a bit of respect for sort of professionalism. It's slightly cosmopolitan. It's somewhat anti-racist, but it's very unequal, very hierarchical. And it's about the experts and it's about capitalism and it is not in any, and it's a anti-democratic and oppressive force. And then there's the Hungary station, which is resurgent fascism, frankly, and ethno national. Mm-hmm. And, and part of the splits you see here is that, and it also reminds us, unfortunately, that these two forces can often align, but, you know, uh, Harris is Singapore station, um, unless he's arguing with the experts that tell him he's wrong about the things that he writes about that they're experts on. But leaving that aside, his whole thing is, you know, we need to be experts and da 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 and and a, a profound distrust of like people in a certain way, but an appeal to authority. And I think Peterson is really tapping into the proto-fascist hungry sentiment. And that's where all the really mm-hmm. weird shit about uh, gender and enforced norms and stuff like that comes Meanwhile, from. he just plays ignorant if you ca- call him on it, right? Like, what, me? That's not what I was saying. Yeah, well, well, he's on YouTube with, like, open violence advocating Tara McCarthy, who's a neo-Nazi. Well, that's another marker of, you know, is is disingenuousness, and which is the other kind of thing that's very actually naughty about dealing with them, because, (laughs) because, you know, Harris, you know, his bread and butter was, you know, my literally titled in defensive torture column is a anti-torture column depending on which person i'm saying is taking me out of context i mean Mm -hmm. just it's incredibly relentlessly disingenuous writing and yes jordan peterson uh will make these you know grand profoundly reactionary comments and anytime anybody tries to pin him uh then it's like well that's a really good point <laughs> you know, and and that's the other, and that's yeah, that was really good. Actually, I felt like he was on the show <laughs> for a second. <laughs> Need to be very precise, <laughs> but the uh, but that's the other kind of amazing thing about them is that actually went among many things. But if you really strip them and and sort of corner them, I mean, Sam obviously will always say that you're taking him out of context and being unfair no matter what. <laughs> But, you know, it's like if, if, you know, the old Woody Allen thing, like if Marshall McLuhan came out and said, you know, like in the Woody Allen scene, like, you know, nothing of my work, Sam Harris would argue with him. He'd be like, I understand what you're saying, but you're distorting your work. Yeah. Do you remember in the Ezra and Sam conversation about bell curve, about when Ezra said that, um, I think it was Flynn that said something, something, something. And Sam was like, well, no, you don't understand what he meant and Ezra's like no no I actually <laughs> spoke to him like what was it and this Harris morning or yesterday on the Harris phone because he's a he's a fucking he's a megalomaniac he didn't miss a beat but but I think when you what that it when it, it's like okay when I've seen Harris play that game particularly with foreign policy it's like okay so you're literally the only point you're trying to make is you know terrorism is bad, right? Like, okay, if, we're, if I'm going to cede to you that you weren't actually advocating profiling or torture, 
your point was, was like, I don't know, there could be a ticking time bomb. Like, all right, I've seen 24. And then in Peterson's case, it's like you're, he literally gets, when he gets flat footed, he really gets to the like, well, that's something to think about. (laughs) Or with the, or with the fucking Rogan thing. I mean, we just did this on the show. He's, and Rogan was, you know, actually pushing him fairly hard in the enforced monogamy thing because it, you know, that violates Rogan's ethos of like get jacked and earn your own pussy, and which <laughs> he's right about, and uh, or, and and then you know Peterson keeps going into like, well, if hierarchies get out of control, they can harm children, and I was like, all right, well, <laughs> see you at the demo, buddy, you fucking moron, be like. People having sex maybe is a slightly less of a threat to children's well-being than he more any sex, than evil age, you dumb fuck. Well, that's right. That's the real thing that's going on. Oh, yeah. He's talked right. about that a few times. Like, you know, uh, what was his tweet? Something about casual sex could um, necessitate state tyranny. <laughs> Mm. And um, there was the time he talked about, I think he was talking to Molyneux, but I'm not entirely sure. There was a clip about him saying, well, you know, leftists want all this like sexual freedom, but then they get upset when, you know, things like this Me Too stuff happens. And it's like, well, they're two different things, you know. Uh Yeah, those are definitely, I mean, that also hinges on the idea that uh, like sexual violence was not taking place in the fifties. I mean, I don't know. It just this is just the problem when you when it's like the guy at best, at best, the most generous interpretation is that he's a self help author who's reached way far beyond his breach, and at worst, he's a disingenuous proto fascist. I don't. He's know a he's a combination. I think he's a self help author who's a, a little bit fashy, maybe. Not openly, but, you know, he likes to weave it into his little self-help stuff about hierarchies and throwing, fantasizing about throwing children across playgrounds. He has some weird-ass shit about children, too. But Well, probably what happened was, if I had to speculate, and I always have to say speculate because I know Jordan Peterson is not necessarily a huge fan of the First Amendment, um, ironically. <laughs> I know. But, but that being said, I would speculate that maybe, maybe his wife took his long belated virginity and just as he was finally like, oh my God, I'm getting a taste of it. So <laughs> then she got pregnant and all of a sudden her feet hurt too much to have sex with him. So he hates kids too. <laughs> so he hates sex but and kids. I, I, as soon as I was finally getting it in, a fucking kid was born. I wish I could pummel him in a playground. <laughs> Oh, man, that's a really great impression. (laughs) You know what I love is that I'm going to write this book, and and it's actually like, you know, it is polemical, but it is going to, you know, actually deal with these arguments and everything. And and what's funny is that there's going to be a certain contingent of the cults around these people that are going to isolate clips like this and be like, he's a bad faith actor. And so I'm going to do, and it's so funny because the irony is, is that first, of course, like, they're engaging in exactly the type of, you know, snowflakey blah, blah, blah kind of shit that they, you know, talk about, which is a par for the course. Mm-hmm. But they're, you know, but they actually, but they're also even on a more, you know, sort of deep level. They're actually literally saying, like, we should forget even, you know, saying hard truths or protecting the First Amendment or whatever. They're basically saying, if you engage in certain commonly and very important forms of human speech and communication, things like satire, comedy. You like, can't joke are, about Peterson it, or Sam Harris. It's haram. It, literally, it's yeah. haram. I mean, <laughs> it, it's, it, it is literally, like, I, I actually have at times, even I have sort of hesitated from drawing those direct comparisons. But when, especially when it comes to that type of thing, it's like, I do not, I really don't see any daylight between how you guys are reacting to this and the mindset of oh, a yeah. Believe me, as an ex-Muslim, ex-member of this atheist scene, I feel like I've left two religions behind, you know? Uh, Very different from each other, obviously. There's no atheist Sharia law before anyone accuses me of saying that there is. But, you know, it has its own distinct ideology, the online scene. They have their talking points. They have their favorite, preferred people right on top. And uh, they have very culty behavior. 
lots of tribalism. As much as they like to say they're like above it all. Did you read Robert Wright? wrote a very good and and Robert Wright is another one of these people who that I feel like and I like Robert Wright and we have you know pretty different politics but it's so funny to me because he really actually embodies this sort of like you know there's a certain dispassion there's a real open inquiry he tries very hard to be sort of fair in his representation of other arguments and then even acknowledges that he probably isn't doing it because he has a bias, like all of this stuff. Yeah. And he wrote this piece in Wired recently. I read that, yeah. Yeah, The Tribalism of Sam Harris. And it was just great because it was like, you know, it was a very careful, good, and it it was like clockwork, like Harris just like tweeted out like, you know, something like you're distorting me, like you're taking me out of context. Or like it was, it was almost just like a, is this, is Sam Harris like a, is he like AI or something? Like, like, like is this literally that just like, how could you be so you right now? Yeah. Well, he said something like he he promotes like Majid Nawaz and and a, he mentioned a couple of other people, Ayan Hirsi Ali, and, and nobody really understood his point. Like I even saw like his fans saying, "Well, what's your point here? How does that mean you're not tribal?" You know, because he because he's not intelligent enough to understand that tribes are not purely racial or religious but that's what it seemed to imply but of course sam didn't clarify or anything so if you say that then you're taking him out of context or something right sure of course but i'm just gonna have to live actually i think the chapter title for sam harris is going to be called putting sam harris in context so (laughs) so i'm looking forward to writing that i gotta run but i would love to do this again soon if you can i would love to have you on my show and and uh talk to you uh further Absolutely. It's been a pleasure talking to you. And uh, yeah, we'll definitely do it again. Awesome. Thank you so much, Ina. Take care. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to another episode of Polite Conversations. You can support this podcast by sharing the shit out of it, making some noise about it, or contributing via Patreon. Patreon.com forward slash nice mangoes. No Ian mangoes. Also, you can follow me on Twitter at NiceMangoes. If you want to make a one-time donation instead of a monthly Patreon one, you can do so via PayPal, nicemangoes.blog at gmail.com. Remember, no Ian Mangoes. If you've got an interesting story and would potentially like to be a guest, you can email me there too. A special thanks to Dylan Beck for theme music, sound, and production help. 